the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 64 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And in this episode, we are finally rounding off our look through the Die Hard series of movies. We have reached the fifth and final movie, It's a Good Day to Die Hard. But is it a good day to podcast? Let's see. As we said, we have finally reached the end of the line in relation to the Die Hard movies. We've gone through all of the series now. It just remains for us to have a look at the final entry in the franchise. John McClane heads off to Moscow this time in A Good Day to Die Hard. So A Good Day to Die Hard or Die Hard 5 was released in 2013. And the synopsis I'm going to read for you guys from the ever trusty IMDb is written by Pat Dunn this week. This is the synopsis of A Good Day to Die Hard. New York City cop John McClane arrives in Moscow to track down his estranged son, Jack. McClane thinks his son is a criminal, so it comes as a shock when he learns that Jack is actually working undercover to protect Komarov a Russian government whistleblower. With their own lives on the line, McLean and Jack must overcome their differences in order to get Komarov to safety and thwart a potentially disastrous crime in the Chernobyl region. Now, it's a good uh, example of father-son bonding, but other than that, this movie is pretty lacklustre, to say the least. I think it is the most soulless diehard film in the franchise, and... After watching all of them, I believe they should have stopped at number three and gone out on a high. There was no real need for Die Hard 4 or 5. 4, I can accept. It wasn't the worst thing ever. They made a decent attempt at bringing it into the modern era. But this one, I just had no fun with this at all. I did not enjoy it. And it didn't even feel like a Die Hard movie to me at times. Yeah, it's a real shame. Because they'd kind of gone back to the slightly more sweary and violent version of Die Hard that we all know and love. But you're right, it doesn't hang together. There's no heart to it at all. It just feels like a series of big action set pieces with not really a lot of connective tissue there. It's trying to bring the wisecracks back. They don't really work. The relationship between McLean and his son... Yeah, it's all right, but it's not the sort of slam-bang fun experience than you would think. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, she got fairly short shrift in Die Hard 4. She gets even shorter shrift in Die Hard 5 because she's in almost none of the movies. She's in at the start, she's in in the middle because she's kind of in a phone call and she's in at the end. If you're going to have Mary Elizabeth Winstead in the movie, why give her nothing to do? 
In fact, I'm pretty sure that there was a cut of A Good Day to Die Hard, maybe one of the TV versions, but there's certainly an alternate version where Mary Elizabeth Winston's character does not appear at all in the movie. And to be honest, she's not really doing anything, so I guess Lucy McLean's a bit of a redundant character this time around, which is rubbish, really. It kind of reflects the sort of thrown-together and sort of... Yeah, because you say lacklustre nature of the movie, and whereas with Die Hard 4, I had a lot more fun with it this time around. I didn't think it was a great movie, but I found that it had improved with the passing years, and it made some relevant points. This, I just thought, when's it going to end? And for a movie that's the shortest one in the Die Hard franchise, that's not a good thing to be thinking. I was exactly the same. I was just going through the motions with it and I didn't have an ounce of fun. Bruce Willis's performance was, um, you know, top of his game as normal, but I think it was just all the other elements surrounding him that just didn't work for me. And you're right about Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I mean, they have wasted an utterly fantastic actress. Like, she is one of my favourite actresses of all time. And it's disappointing to see her not be given much material to work with in this, even less than the previous instalment. I feel like we've not really got a well-rounded character with Lucy McLean. As you say, she appears very much at the beginning. There's just a phone call appearance and then she's there at the end. But again, I suppose if they cut her character out, the uh, edited version, then it's not really missing much because they just don't give her anything to do. This was the first Die Hard film where it was a original script. It was written as a Die Hard movie, not based on anything else. Just to recap, the first Die Hard film was based on a novel by Roderick Thorpe. The sequel was written as a script based on a novel called 58 Minutes. And Die Hard with a Vengeance took an idea from a screenplay that was originally titled Simon Says. And then Live Free or Die Hard was from like an original screenplay called www3.com and then there was an article as well that it was based on so this again as I say is the first one where they've got a completely unique idea I personally wasn't fussed on it being set outside of the US either I think that impacted it feeling like a diehard movie yeah I mean you've got McLean in the sort of fish out of water role so he's again out of his comfort zone he's way out of his comfort zone this time because he's in a country that he doesn't even speak the language but the bad guys are very hackneyed the plot is full of double crosses that even if you're not seeing them coming you don't really care about too much nobody's drawn particularly well the bickering between McLean and McLean Jr isn't all that inspired it's just a series of big, loud, dumb action set pieces that don't really work for me. And I like big, loud, dumb action set pieces. I'm here for those. But it just seemed that it was destruction for destruction's sake. I mean, there's a car chase that goes on for a really, really, really long time. And normally, if somebody had said to me, oh, there's a 10-minute car chase in the middle of this movie, I'd have thought, fuck yeah, great 10-minute car chase. I'm in. But after a couple of minutes of it, it was like, do I need to see any more lines of cars getting smashed out of the way? No, I really don't. And it's weird to say that even though I knew what was coming, I was still checking my watch thinking, how long has this got to go? And I remember seeing this in the cinema 
and having the same feeling when I sat there and sat in the cinema because I thought, you know, maybe it's a bit of a return to form. Apparently, it's going to be more violent. And I thought, you know, this is kind of what Die Hard is. But after a few minutes in the cinema, I was thinking, this isn't really what I paid to see, unfortunately. For it to go out on such a whimper, yes, it's spectacular. Yes, a lot of things get smashed or shot or blown up. And there's this whole, almost like the world's in danger this time because it's a plot about depleted uranium that's going to be used for nefarious purposes. So it's no longer a city or a building or even sort of the United States. I mean, the whole world's under threat this time. So they've upped the ante. But even if the world's under threat this time, by the end of it, I was just thinking, I don't really care, which is a bit of a shame, really, because Die Hard, you're supposed to care about everything, even the kind of minor characters. And this, I was just... I just had the same feeling that I got every time I've seen this movie, which was like, so what? It's definitely lost its spark. That That is how I felt throughout it. And as you say about the um, side characters... Bruce Willis always has great rapport with most of the actors he works with. And you'd think that in an instalment that features this father-son dynamic, that you could have some work with some really great stuff there. But it's just really generic. There's no kind of feeling to it at all. I don't, I'm not really getting much other than just, you know, cliches between them. It's that whole, um, he doesn't want to know his father. And then, you know, suddenly they're thrown into this um, highly dangerous situation together. And they've got to bond in order to thwart the villain. It's that type of thing. And then eventually he's like calling him John to start with. But then after everything goes down, it's back to calling him dad. And it's just pretty cheesy, really. But there's nothing that really elevates their relationship. And it's a shame because, you know, say like he's had more chemistry with the other actors that he's performed with in the previous instalments. So this film is not a popular film in Russia. <laughs> no surprises there. <laughs> you, you do surprise me. <laughs> and according to IMDb, this is because of its cliched depiction of all Russians as being villains. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's it doesn't portray Russians as kind of honest and straightforward people. There's always some kind of agenda. I mean, the taxi driver at the start seems a nice guy, but he's got a very minor role. Everybody else he comes across is just duplicitous and really awful to everybody. And I guess if you're a Russian watching this, it's not really a true reflection of Russian people, I'm absolutely certain. I guess if you're going to have bad guys, it may, may have been at the point where they were thinking, well, you know, we don't want Americans as bad guys anymore. It was very much the kind of like that period um, during the sort of 90s where Brits were always the villains because... We had some kind of dark side to us, which and I'm, I'm absolutely fine with Brits being the villains because, you know, the villains are usually smarter than everybody else. So I'm fine with British people being the bad guys. Russians, it's kind of a bit retroactive because you got the Russians being the bad guys in the 80s with things like uh, Rambo and Red Dawn and all this sort of stuff. So it feels a bit of a retrograde step for them to be doing it. I know they've got to set it somewhere, but... There seems to be a lack of sympathetic Russian characters because they're all in it for themselves. They're all double-crossing each other. They're all trying to get what they want, even if it means shooting various people who are supposed to be on their own side. And I don't think there's a huge amount of spoilers in here because by the end of it all, my feeling was 
I don't really know who's on whose side. I don't really know which bunch of people I'm supposed to root for other than McLean and his son. And that's another problem because they've got kind of two interchangeable sets of bad guys here. So it's trying to play them off against each other and there's a double cross and there's another double cross. By the end of it, I was just thinking, I really don't fucking care about any of this stuff, which is awful because I love the Die Hard franchise. And for me to sit there and just think, well, you know what? I am not one single bit fussed about what happens in this because as the carnage gets more and more, you know that McLean and his son are going to get out of it, no matter how many ridiculous situations they get put in. I mean, they, they escape a falling building. There's a helicopter shooting thousands of rounds at them. After all that, you think, well, there's no way they're going to kill either of them. And that kind of takes away some of the stakes at the end as well, because you think, regardless of the fact that they're outnumbered and outgunned and there's all sorts of shit going down it's like you know they're gonna walk out of it at the end and to be honest about an hour and 15 in i just thought is this going on any longer it's like 20 minutes and i was thinking oh yeah there's this bit at the end and that that seemed to take forever and as a diehard movie it doesn't work as an action movie there's lots going on but as an action movie doesn't really work either because everything just feels so cliched and set up and all the destruction is kind of it doesn't grow organically out of the story it's just like how much shit can we blow up or knock down or shoot to pieces and that's not a fun action movie for me exactly i think because the writing wasn't there and the characters weren't there the action isn't going to make up that so you know you got pretty much a damp squib with this one and I agree what you say about the whole double cross situation it all comes across as a bit predictable in the end you can see it coming a mile off the twists are kind of glaring you in the face going back to the quirky taxi driver though I believe that was a homage to the first movie the taxi driver that um, John McLean encounters near the beginning that takes him to the um, Christmas party but I thought as well the really cheesy, cheap-looking homage to Hans Gruber's death. Oh, my God. I thought, yeah, they went there. They went there. And it has no impact whatsoever. As we spoke about in the first ever Die Hard installment, how Alan Rickman was surprised when filming that scene and they captured his genuine reaction. This feels so forced that it's obvious. And as I say, there's, an, there's no surprise element to it. There's so much about this movie where it's like, oh, look what we're doing here, look what we're doing here, look what we're flicking back to, look what we're mentioning from this other bit of the Die Hard franchise, look what we're doing here. And it's it's just like, yes, we know, we know, stop poking us with all of this stuff. And they've kind of given McLean a new catchphrase for this one because a few times he bemoans the fact that his Moscow holiday has been ruined by all of this stuff going on by saying the line, I'm on fucking vacation. Now, I'm sure that at a script meeting, somebody read that and said, this is going to be hilarious. It is not hilarious. I did not laugh once when he said, I'm on fucking vacation. It's like, yes, I know. I know they set it up to be a comedy line, but not even Bruce Willis can sell that as a funny line. I was just kind of, just get me out of here, please. I just want this movie to be over so that I can write my notes on it 
and I can come and discuss it and get really annoyed about the fact that it is by far and away the worst movie in the Die Hard franchise. It is a long way from the next worst movie. I didn't have a lot of hope going into it. I thought though maybe it's going to pull a Die Hard for, maybe it's going to grabs onto something where I'm going to think, you know what, I missed all this the first time and I can appreciate why people like this movie. Nope, nothing like that in this movie. Absolute soulless pile of shit that it is. I'm sorry, Die Hard, but this was not the movie to go out on. Even though they do say, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker, that's great that that's back. It does take about an hour and 26 minutes to get to it. I'm all for your PKA motherfucker, but if it's in, if it's surrounded by all of this other crap, even when he said that, I just was thought, well, I'm just over this movie. I don't really care about the YPKA anymore. And that is a cardinal sin for a diehard movie. If you're boring people to the point where YPKA motherfucker has no impact whatsoever, that is wrong. Yeah, again, um, that line did not hit a note at all we knew it was coming but again it just did not have the impact that it does in the first second or third movie it's just a very joyless film bruce willis had actually wanted uh bonnie bedelia to return in the role as his estranged wife holly Gennaro mclean but she obviously didn't return for it i think it would have been cool to see her just to you know throw that back to the original i don't know how much that would have changed the outcome of this movie but it would have added perhaps a little bit more conflict in especially when it involves the son how they would have like dealt together with the situation that he was embroiled in i don't know what saddens me is like it is such a strong franchise there's so many great moments in this franchise so many great sequels and this one is just like what was the point it just leaves you feeling so deflated and it is the worst uh, critically received movie in the whole series. So um, we're on to the uh, point in the episode where we talk about who could have been. <laughs> it's yeah, a cool. trope in our podcast. Who could have been? So uh, we're going to talk about who was set to play at the character of Jack McLean. And there's quite a list. Uh, we had Aaron Paul, who I think would have pulled off it really well. Liam Hemsworth, James Badge Dale, Paul Walker. Ben Foster, Shiloh Fernandez, Milo Ventimiglia, who I am a huge fan of, mm. Paul Dano, Steve R. McQueen, and DJ Patrona. So all those actors were considered. And I believe Justin Timberlake at one point as well. Paul Dano is an interesting choice. I yeah. think it's a different spin than Jay Courtney. I think he's good, Jay Courtney, and this is there's nothing wrong with him. I don't think he's given a huge amount to work with, apart from be angry most of the time. Paul Dano is a different sort of Jack McLean. But yeah, it's a pretty good list of actors. I think most of those would have pulled it off. Aaron Paul, especially. I think Aaron Paul would have been a good one. But I think it is what it is, this movie. I don't think any actor in that role could have rescued Die Hard 5 from what it is. Which is a shame, really, because it's a good idea. It's... Arguably a good location. You're right, though. I mean, does it need to travel outside the US? Maybe they thought, you know, we've conquered the US. Let's go somewhere else. But, yeah, Bonnie Bedelia, maybe she read the script and thought, you know, there's no fucking way I'm coming back for this. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just a real 
shrug of a movie. This is a, just such a shame that it's so dull. And I can't believe I am calling a Die Hard movie dull, but it is. It's dull. Considering the amount of stuff that's going on it, you just think, I don't care. It doesn't grab you enough. So when things are getting destroyed, you just think, yeah, it's another car getting smashed. It's another building getting blown up. It's another guy getting shot. I don't care. Yeah, and then that's what makes it really disappointing when you just couldn't give a shit about anything that happens in it or any of the characters. And even though you want to root for a character like John McClane because he is iconic, going back to the Scream movie logic, thinking about maybe a requel, that would have been a better scenario for this film. They could have taken it back to basics. It could have been like set in a similar situation to the first one in a, in a building an office building it could have been set at christmas even that i mean i'm not saying remake the first movie completely but it could have had a similar setting and it would have just brought things full circle i mean maybe nobody else would want to watch a movie like that but i'm just thinking what would have enhanced this movie mm. and made it like one to go out on a bang yeah if you're subverting the tropes of the first movie and making people think you're going to get more of the same, but it's giving you left turns all the time, and it's sending you down different paths. That's a much better idea than what we ended up with this. It's just generic, dull action stuff that you've seen a million times before. It just happens to have John McClane in this one. Oh, this movie, I just, I just can't get past it. It's a terrible waste of the franchise. And I know that they were postulating that there was going to be a sixth Die Hard movie, which obviously isn't going to happen now because Bruce Willis has retired and I hope he has a long and happy retirement. But for it to bow out on such a duff note, it kind of leaves a bit of a nasty taste in the mouth because the Die Hard franchise, even when it's not at full power like in the fourth one, at least there's something there. There's nothing in Die Hard 5. And speaking of the possible sixth instalment that could have been, um, I was going to discuss that in a little bit more detail so we could get a bit of background of what may have happened. So I'm reverting to Wikipedia for this, the ever so reliable source, but um, just to explain it to you all. So when the production was formally announced for a fifth film in the series, Bruce Willis expressed his desire to retire the John McClane character in the sixth and final film. So obviously um, Bruce didn't feel done with the franchise at five, so he just wanted that one last film to bow out on. So by the September of 2017, director Len Wiseman publicly floated that he was casting for a young version of John McClane for his self-penned origin story called John McClane whose plot was rumoured to borrow heavily from the Die Hard Year One comic book miniseries. Then six months later, the studio enlisted Chad Hayes and Carrie W. Hayes to rewrite the screenplay after Bruce Willis refused to endorse the previous edition and its actor. And then a treatment was submitted by a producer, Lorenzo Bonaventura. I hope I pronounced that correctly, and that was titled McLean. And it was further confirming the storyline features elements of McLean and Holly's characters in the 1970s intermixed with their present day counterparts. So that was, I mean, that could have been an interesting idea. I mean, I, I think I would be more on board with that than what we actually got. So that all went on the back burner um, by 2019. And then Mary Elizabeth Winstead was interested in returning as the character of Lucy. But then due to scheduling, um, she couldn't even commit to it, even if it was going to get made. 
and then Die Hard was removed from the Fox imprint through at least its 2021 slate after Disney's acquisition and senior management shakeup, which saw the dismissal of its theatrical distribution executive, Chris Aronson. So outright in August 2019, any future Die Hard was cancelled um, after further consideration by Disney. And then Willis reprised his role as McLean for the final time in 2020 for an advert for the Die Hard car battery commercial. And then, of course, as you say, because Bruce Willis has retired now, we are not going to see another Die Hard film. However, if there was a chance to make one, my idea would be that they would hand over the baton and maybe it could focus on his son and there could be a story surrounding him. He could just take that John McClane role. I mean, I know it's not ideal having the movie without Bruce Willis, but if there was a possibility to have one more film, I think there could be some interesting ideas at play there. Yeah, either that or focus it on Lucy McClane getting stuck in, oh, a, yeah. in a situation because Mary Elizabeth Winston's got some uh, action chops. She's in Birds of Prey and she can prove that she can mix it with other action stars. So, yeah, a Lucy McClane movie would be quite welcome. I'd like to see that because I think she'd bring a slightly different approach to dealing with the bad guys than John McClane. I mean, she is pretty kick-ass, but I think she'd be a bit more thoughtful than just uh, blowing buildings up and shooting tons of guys so maybe you know if you're out there and you're thinking about a lucy mcclain movie i'd watch it yeah absolutely i think that's actually a pretty good idea and we'd have a female-led diehard film which would be something refreshing so i'd definitely be up seeing that movie especially if mary elizabeth winstead did decide to star in it so that's a great idea and then the last word on it was there was going to be a possible television reboot i mean obviously with streaming now being popular a lot of successful properties are going on to become series. Marvel have done it successfully. The Star Wars franchise have. So, yeah, that could easily be possible. So, basically, they would say all we know about it is it was likely to be uh, rebooted and streamed on Hulu. But there's no further information about what the plots could centre around. But, you know, maybe, as I say, it could focus on Lucy McLean, even Jack McLean as well, and maybe a young... John and Holly McClane. I mean, if we could see like their backstory a bit more as a you know a developed in a, a TV context, that that could work. I'm not sure we've seen the last of the Die Hard franchise, even though they're saying like there's going to be no more Die Hard. I don't believe that at all. I'm sure that it will resurface at some point in some other incarnation, and as long as it's good, I don't mind. I mean, people say that they flog things to death. As long as the quality's okay, I don't mind. If it's going to be more of Die Hard 5, no, that's it. Put it to bed. Let's never speak of this again. But if they're willing to take it in interesting directions, I'm quite happy to see more Die Hard stuff. Yeah, I'm thinking that, I mean, the critics didn't like it. I don't reckon that the IMDb score is very high either, is it? It's kind of middling. It's 5.2 out of 10, which I think is fair because, you know, production-wise, technically, this film is fine. It's yeah. not a badly made movie whatsoever. It's a Hollywood blockbuster. It's just that it lacks any sort of connection with its audience. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 15% tomato meter. So obviously the critics were not amused with this film in the slightest. And then a 40% audience score, which again is, is like, just below average it's okay but this just did not land with people it's not obviously going to be a hit with the diehard hardcore 
fans. <laughs> I don't know if diehard fans have a name like trackies or anything, but we're called the diehards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it didn't obviously work there. And then I think if you're new coming to this franchise, you know, you'd probably see it as a pretty generic action movie and pretty forgettable, really, which is the shame because we've had such a blast revisiting Die Hard as a franchise and I've really enjoyed getting to see the sequels for the first time except for this one and I really wanted to be more enthusiastic but I, I can't lie to you guys all these are our genuine opinions and we cannot pretend to like something we don't so yeah sorry Die Hard yeah apologies to Die Hard yeah sorry <laughs> sorry Die Hard 5 which just didn't work for some people I'm guessing it has enough loud dumb action set pieces to satisfy them you know, it might be a good film over a couple of beers where you're not really wanting to use your brain, but no, nah, it doesn't just doesn't land at all. It's just doesn't hold a candle to anything else in the franchise at all. And for it to be called a diehard movie, it's overselling it somewhat. I think even if it was just an action movie with a different title and the same plot, I'd have probably come away thinking, well, that wasn't really good. So I think it's probably time to announce which order we have picked the Die Hard franchise. What's the top? What's the bottom? What's in between? So I'm going to get you to go first, Hayley. Okay. So starting from the ground up, my least favourite is A Good Day to Die Hard, followed by Live Free or Die Hard. At third place, I'm going to give that to Die Hard 2. At second place, I'm going to give that to Die Hard with Vengeance because I thought that was the best sequel out of all of them. And of course, the best, the top, the unbeatable. It is 1988's Christmas classic Die Hard at the top of my list. And I cannot wait to revisit this film at Christmas time because it just feels right. It just feels right. It's December. It's time for Die Hard. Let's get the Baileys on the go and just enjoy this action-packed festive film. Yes, it is a Christmas staple in the Gaskell household. There's always a point during the festive season which we sit down and watch Die Hard at some point. In fact, we even went to see to driving one Christmas. So that's how committed we are in terms of Die Hard viewing at Christmas. So my rank from the bottom up, unsurprisingly, A Good Day to Die Hard is way down at the bottom. Quite a bit further up is Die Hard 4, which, yes, it's not as good as anything in the first three, but I was pleasantly surprised at some of the ideas it had, and I think I was a little bit harsh when I first saw this. I think the bad guys are a little bit weak in it, and the fact that it's toned down the violence and the swearing doesn't help it at all. But the ideas are good, and there's a couple of good chilling set pieces in it. Third on the list... It's actually going to be Die Hard with a Vengeance. This is very oh. close between Die Hard with a Vengeance and Die Hard 2. It used to be Die Hard with a Vengeance that was my second movie, but having seen Die Hard 2 quite a lot, I've come to appreciate that it's a much more expansive and smart action movie than a lot of people gave it credit for, me included. It's very close, but in third place, just by a smidge, it's Die Hard with a Vengeance just being narrowly beaten out into second by Die Hard 2. And then, topping it off, you can't get better than Die Hard in the franchise. You've got great setup, brilliant characters, you've got a world-beating bad guy, a massively entertaining movie that zips along at a massively quick pace, 
it's just the perfect action movie. So there's no surprise that I'm going to pick the original and the best for number one in the franchise. I'm actually quite surprised with your ranking there between Die Hard 2 and Die Hard with a Vengeance. So, um, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. That threw me. Um, so if you'd like to let us know your rankings of the Die Hard franchise, we'd love to hear them. You can comment on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and let us know because we'd just love to hear about that. Yeah, so that's it for the Die Hard franchise. It's been fun. I've enjoyed going through the movies again, but it's only now that we've got one more chance to say it. So, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 64 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to check us out on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Well, what's next? It's the most wonderful time of the year, and I don't mean it's Christmas. It's that time again when we dip our toes into the dangerous waters. It's back. It's the sequel. It's Summer of Sharks 2. I cannot believe this is so near right now. It doesn't feel that long ago since we were recording our Summer of Sharks Season 1 episode. Time really flies. So we have got a plethora of epic shark movies and when i say epic most likely epically bad there's one movie we're even debating about i'm not going to say what it is that darren doesn't even know if he can sit through but if we get to it you'll know about it for the first one we're going back to possibly the most famous shark movie franchise of them all even more famous than sharknado we're going for the third movie in the Jaws franchise, weirdly titled Jaws 3. This will be a first time viewing for me. I've heard interesting things, so I'm excited to finally check it out. And if you'd like to catch up on our previous episodes, uh, we have both Jaws and Jaws 2 in last season's Summer of Sharks. They are available on Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, I think Samsung Podcasts, and plenty of other podcast outlets. So as I say, if you'd like to catch up before uh, you dive into the waters with us for Jaws 3. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, Summer of Sharks 2 is just round the corner. Until then, stay safe everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.